Hello, we are glad you're joining us again for Up for Discussion. Are you up for a discussion? I'm up for discussion, Manoa. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We've got a hot topic, don't we? We do. So um, we asked last week if there was anybody who had a suggestion or a request for a topic for us to cover. And there was one that stuck out to us in particular, and it is... Um, about control and manipulation. And this person was pointing out that there is a need for biblical teaching on this topic because it, it's been like leaven. It's just infiltrated not only society, but um, this, this idea of control and manipulation has affected society, but it's also affected church life. Um, yeah, I assume that's, church. that's what we were talking mainly about was church life. But I, you're right, it is outside of church as well. It <laughs> is. And um, they also said, you know, how, how could you also give us some tools for how to deal with it when we see it, not only in the church, but like in, in family members and relationships, etc. So Johnny's going to focus a little bit more on the church side of it. And I think I'll perhaps talk a little bit more about the relational side of it. And um, hopefully there's some good insight for you and some uh, biblical perspective. Um, so I am happy for you to go first with some of what's stirring in you about it. Okay. And if you've listened to us for a while, you might remember that I grew up in what is pretty much considered cult, a cult cultish you know we believed in not by his choice <clears throat> yeah you know, i was you know elizabeth would be the strongest one that was a cult and a lot of it has to do with that very thing manipulation abuse spiritual manipulation and you know we've had conversations before about the obvious abuse in church that crosses the boundaries into sexual abuse and things like that that's that's we've pretty, covered pretty easy to spot that's obvious when you're the target <clears throat> of it but there are scriptures that are twisted and there are things that um, there's a reason why they call cults cults, even though that sometimes they accuse everything of being a cult. But a cult is where there is this peer pressure from the top that gets to be, uh, I mean, there's many more dynamics than that. We're not really just going into definition of cult. That might be another topic for another time, kind of overlap into all this. But there are some scriptures the Lord um, really taught me growing up in this um, in this cult setting that I was in. That's really what I want to share out of. Um, and, and we're going to try to recognize that there are, you know, there's the path of life and there is a ditch on either side. So we're going to mention both, both ditches because generally keeping balance... Um, on things of God, on almost anything, is really being aware of a ditch on either side and, and not true. so overcorrecting from one side. Right. That, that you go to the that other. That you go to the go to the other. So I love that about you and how you teach. There's so much wisdom in that. So well thank you. Thank you. So you know, and some of you may not have experienced it, but this is for those who have. And if you've been in church long enough, you've probably been in <clears throat> in a setting where the leader is um, you know, you're not sure if he's manipulating. You're not sure if he's imposing. He's pulling his I'm your leader card. Uh, submit to me. You know, there are scriptures that say um, obey them that have the rule over you. Submit to them. They watch for your soul. And so in cults, they'll really jump on that scripture mm -hmm. and overemphasize it. That's that's another way bad uh, bad balance comes out is by actually using a scripture but getting more out of it than it's intended to. Mm -hmm. Even if you understand, I did an in-depth uh, study on, on that scripture, obey them to have the rule. And it's, it's not like this blind obedience, um, uh, you know, give up your own responsibility for hearing from God. It was like, it, it, you really go into, again, the language in the original there. It's like, listen to those who are teaching you or instructing you, who are above you, who are more mature, more advanced in the spirit. And so it's just sort of sensible. But at no, no, at no point in no time is it um, trying to tell you to um, entirely give up here. So I'm just going to jump right into it's going to be easier really to tell from the scripture. So one of them is in 1 Kings chapter 13. 
In 1 Kings chapter 13, I'm not going to read, I'm just going to tell you it's there. I may point out a, 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 a verse or not, but it starts beginning in verse 1. Behold, a man of God went from Judah to, uh, to Bethel, and then he cried against the altar, and then the king Jeroboam tried to raise his hand against them, and his hand um, uh, withered, really, a stretched forth his hand, and it withered so he could not pull it back to himself. And so the man of God prayed for him, and it was fine. And then the king tells him, Jeroboam says, will you come in and, um, and, and uh, you know, come into my house and let me, let's have a, a meal. Uh, so the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored. Then the king said to verse seven, so this in case you're needing to look it up later, first Kings 13, seven. Uh, then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not re return by the way he came to Bethel. So you want to understand, this is a man, it just calls him uh, a man of God. We understand he's really like a young prophet here. If we follow the rest of the story, it'll say that. So you have, even thinking through this grid of authority, so his king says, come into my house. And he says, no, because God told me something specific. So he's establishing there is this priority, even when there's a king, it's not just automatic submit, obey the king kind of deal. And so, but that's not the end of the story. Verse 11, now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to their king. So that, that's important. And they also told their father the words that he spoke to the king. So they said, you know, and he would not go into the king because he would not um, surrender what he had heard from God by just uh, catering to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went. So they, he said, saddled a donkey for me. And so he chased the man of God. And then he says, are you the man of God who came from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said, come home with me and eat bread. So he knows, the old prophet knows that he's already told the king, I got straightforward command from the Lord himself. And he said, do not go in to anyone else. Do not stop along the way. Do not take an invitation for dinner. And then he So let me make sure people are following this. So the king has already tested the young prophet's um, Resolve there. Resolve to to not just to blindly to obey to authority when God has told him something differently. And now you've got an older prophet who found out about that, and he invited that same young prophet to come and have a meal in his house, even though he already knew that that young prophet was under orders orders from the Lord to not do that. So we have what we're going to see is so we have an another old, test. Yeah, we have an old prophet who's not afraid to use manipulation, because this is where it's going to go. Verse 16, he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor bring, drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. So what does the older prophet said? And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. So this is the first time we hear that the young man is actually called the prophet by the older prophet. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. It's an out and out lie, but he knows it will work. It's like, I got to pull a big trump card because mm. if he's got this, I got to say, well, an angel actually came to me and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back to you with your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Well, and this leaves no doubt in parenthesis, it says he was lying to him. We know that. So we went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. So you see, he, he surrendered his personal hearing because it was impressive enough for him to say an angel told him. And so it was like, well. Well, and manipulation too, in that he complimented him. He flattered him by calling him a young prophet. You're like me. I do, yes. Yeah. Now it happened, verse 20, as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who brought him back, the old prophet who had mm -hmm. been lying. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord. Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your corpse shall not come back to the tomb of your fathers. 
So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled a donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. And the lion also stood by the corpse, and it goes on a little bit from there. And so even the older prophet, when he's telling the story to someone else, verse 26, Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the line. I mean, but you just see this. But there, wow. one of the things that establishes the immense value of hanging on to what the Lord has spoken to you personally. And he was not to be moved because he's king. He was not to be moved because he's an old prophet, a more seasoned prophet. He was not to be moved because he said, an angel told me. Those became would be, be considered instruments of manipulation, even if they were done in sincerity. And now it seems very severe. It seems, wow, that's very Old Testament-y, like, wow, you die for it. But it, it, you know, it's, I think it's easy to see that the Lord sees a setup from the enemy. Mm-hmm. It says, or the enemy says, I'm going to have a line that if he's late, if he's there, I'm going to have a line and you have to let me have access to him. If he disobeys you enough to do that, like there's some, you know, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Mm-hmm. The Lord said, you know, you do not turn aside because there's probably this window of when you're in disobedience, you're not allowed. But anyway, that, that's a, we'll say a secondary message within the message. But this is something that... um I lived by. This was something I lived off of growing up in the cult. And then when I turned 18, 19, 20, when I had to confront things and I had to not be moved by who they were. Like if, if I got as much clarity as I knew how to, how to get <clears throat> and, and, and made a stand with it, I was, this story always stood out yeah, to me. It's powerful. I cannot give up what he, what he speaks to me. And he didn't have to, it wasn't like dishonor the king, dishonor the old prophet. He, he did exactly what he says, like, I'm sorry. I have been specifically charged by the Lord not to. He didn't make any other excuses. So that's number one. Now let's look quickly. We'll put them together. This is a story out of Exodus 32. It's when Moses is delaying. He's up on the mountain. He's actually getting the Ten Commandments. And Aaron begins to get nervous because he's delaying. And so the rumor starts going, he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. And so verse one of, of Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Mm. And this is just honestly, what we're about to read is it's like, incomprehensible. Aaron was his spokesperson. He's the one that actually said, let my people go to Pharaoh. He saw all the signs and wonders. He was there. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. So we understand the people, they were all wearing them. I mean, if you read the story of coming out of Egypt, Egyptians wanted them gone and they blessed them with all their, their gold as well, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it to an engraving with an engraving tool and made a molded calf, a molded calf. And then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. It's a little deceitful there because that word Lord, Baal, is Baal, and it because that's what the word means. It could be either one. They mm-hmm. rose early the next morning, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. But it was in a very wrong type of uh, playing, carnal, maybe orgy-like. It, they just went off the rails. They came out of Egypt, and they went off the rails um, for a moment. But this was also a passage that was powerful application for me, um, Growing up, I did even uh, a teaching um, that I had presented to people within the movement, the cultish movement that I came out of, 
on your golden earrings. What does it mean to have your golden earrings? Um, because the movement we came out of, they, the elders came up with this kind of rules of life, and they called it divine order. And they, they, you know, they sold to the people, listen, these are the elders. You understand the Bible says submit to elders. And so in this divine order, you know, as a, if you're um, a man, you could not have any facial hair. You could not have sideburns, mustache, beard. Uh, women were not allowed to wear slacks, pants, any kind. Um, there's like one inch above, uh, no. Below the kneecap. Below the kneecap is is where this dress must go. That's divine order. And you, there is no dating. You may, if you independently of each other, the woman goes to the elder and say, I have feelings for this young man. And he does the same. There's a whole process that takes a year. It's a super complex, complicated. Um, it went into... No what, sports, no entertainment. Yeah. It was what underwears, to... what underwear was not allowed to be worn because <laughs> it promoted something. It's bizarre stuff, okay? You had to be at church worship every single night. Well, that was, that, that was not. The... That wasn't part of the divine order? No, because that would be like per farm or whatever. But this was like, this, the divine order was this movement wide. But not it... just your location, no. but they had locations in time farms all over the world. So I taught it such like that what it was is there's a throwing in of you no longer have to and it covered every area of life. That part is is true. You did have to go to all the meetings. You had to um so it was that um right but the meeting schedule is a little different in every gotcha. in every place but whatever the elders said so obeying the elders so there's they create in essence this golden calf that they worship. And then they tried to honor, worship God with it. And they said, this is, this is your, you know, this is the gods that brought you out of Egypt. So you give up your own earrings, your own hearing in exchange for the divine order. For the divine this order. Is, yeah. All questions answered. You don't have to pray about things. Everything is known ahead of time. Yeah. There's a process procedure for everything. And it is a reason why many people do join things that are considered cults is I just want to do the right thing. So they want to do the right thing. And, you and they want to... want to be told because it's harder and scarier to try to hear from the Lord and discern for yourself. That's right. And take responsibility and, and, and you know, accountability for yourself and all that kind of way. But we have what is identical in both these stories is the danger. Because in essence, if you look at the first story, the young prophet and the old prophet, he finally was coaxed out of his golden earrings. So think of your golden earrings as your responsibility and your right to hear from God for yourself. And, and so now we're getting into the nitty gritty of where it crosses the line of abuse and manipulation, whatever church setting environment. If there is a, a coaxing, you're being coaxed out of your personal hearing through whatever manipulation of scripture, excess weight put on one part of scripture or whatever. Um, it doesn't mean you, you're allowed to have such an independent spirit that you don't follow guidelines. Like it's appropriate if there's a church and the pastor, like, no, we're starting our meetings at 10. And you're like, no, I feel like they should start at 931. And we're not talking about that that kind of, kind of stuff. But it, it goes into things that are personal for you, where there is... You know, there's different movements. There's the college movement, the Maranatha movement, and the whole movement we came out of where you were supposed to get advice from um, the leaders. They would actually approve, and really this is what came out of our thing too, approve, not only every marriage was approved, every dating, every, every, and it wasn't, dating wasn't really allowed. Everything, you were not allowed, career, mate, anything. And it went under this thing of, you know, uh, your covering. There's a whole message on be under covering. Are you under your covering? Who's your covering? Covering, covering. And this thing of covering, covering became like smothering. And so, but it's, it's, it's always weaved with scripture. It's always, you know, combined with, uh, we'll say half truth, partial truth mm -hmm. in there. So this thing just take a, a, a minute, Elizabeth, but I'm going to tell the ditches now. Okay. <clears throat> and so remember, 
there's path of life, there's the right thing, a ditch on either side. On one ditch, <clears throat> we haven't talked about this yet, on one ditch would be to be unteachable and to be, um, you just can't handle any correction. You know, we were pastors for 15 years. There were some people that came in because they had been abused. They had come from different things. Um, you couldn't suggest anything. There was no point for them coming for counsel. It was, they were unteachable. Mm -hmm. And the scripture's clear on those who are unteachable, incorrectable. And that's always, um, you know, something Elizabeth and I have noted for whatever, whether it's working with us, whether it was in church, whatever is like anybody who was teachable, we could put up with all kinds of uh, junk, emotional junk and whatever else they're going through. If they're just teachable and, and being teachable, it was just a heart posturing of, of themselves in that kind of way. So that's one ditch. Don't want to be teachable, but you can correct so much and be on the other side of that where it's what we're talking about. You surrender your gold, your golden earrings, where you're not going to make any decisions for yourself. You're going to go somewhere where somebody, you're so teachable, they have all the decisions. And so those are the two opposites that mm -hmm. um, we want to be avoiding. So the path of life is to trust what he tells you, but be open to, um, you know, to process, be open to uh, scripture does speak, you know, in a multitude of counsel, there is safety and two or three voices let something be confirmed. And so, but think of it. That's why there's this visual of the golden earrings is good. It's like, all right, so you're willing to listen to other people, but you never surrender. There's something about you don't surrender your golden earrings. You're right and you're privileged to hear from, um, from God. That is ultimately, you know, the equipping of the saints that it talks about it's it's the equipping of the saints is not equipping them to be obedient to leaders. The right. equipping of the saints is to understand, interact, and be able to advance in communication uh, uh, with God. So good. So anyway, and you know, I, we I've seen this. The longer you stay under manipulative leadership, yeah, the harder it is to leave. Yeah, you get. It's, it's almost, you get bewitched yeah. in, in that as well. But anyway, so jump in on thoughts you, you have. That's there all so what, good and really important. Um, whether it's on that or the next stage. Yeah. It, I, um, where I've been kind of going with this and, and my thoughts, um, yes, it's so important to be able to recognize it in a local church setting. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of responsibility that's on leaders to um, reflect God in the way that they use the authority that they, that they have. There, there's a power that you have. I think it's similar for parents. Like when you're healthy and you're in a position of authority, um, you understand and you have a healthy fear of the fact that you carry a lot of influence over your congregation or over your children or your workplace, whoever you have authority over and what areas that you carry influence. And this is such an important topic just for obvious reasons, but it's also important in the context of Reformation because ultimately we're talking about followers of Jesus being in positions of influence. And when, when we're in a position of influence, there is a level of authority that you carry. Even if, even if your authority looks like serving people through your business, through a, you know, something that you do, um, th there is authority that you carry in the spirit realm as followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so how we yield that authority is so important. You can, um, like just looking at the big picture of it, you know, when you talk about reformation, one of the things that people get scared of is dominionism. And for a good reason, because they hear conversations that, um, 
at best they're just poorly worded or phrased yeah. things, but sometimes yeah. it actually reflects a true agenda that's there. But this this talk of I'm gonna take my mountain, I'm going to We're gonna take over. Yeah, it's it's dominate people and Dominate um, people's will, yeah. And that's because Christians have been known for that, because Christians have erred on the side of religion versus relationship with yeah. God. And why do we do that? Why, even as a society, just in general, forget about just Christians and Reformation for a second, but just in general, this topic of we as humans tend have a tendency towards... Um, controlling and manipulating. What what does yeah. that come from? Yeah. So I want to just kind of discuss some of those root things that are there that I've thought of today. And while I'm kind of putting my perspective out there, you'll probably think of some comments you want to make. So I'm good with that. But one thing, one reason is, I think the primary reason is because we do not understand God. We don't reflect, we reflect um an inaccurate perspective mm -hmm. of God. And even people that aren't conscious of it, I believe we ultimately, you're wired internally to know in your heart of hearts that there is a creator, there is a God, there is something that is the master over it all. And when you don't properly discern the motive of the one who we know as the father and his motivation towards us, then you're going to reflect him mm -hmm. inaccurately in areas that you carry authority. Um, I believe that God loves us and interacts with us without an agenda. And right. to, to me, what that means is he, there's nothing within him that, that needs anything. So his motive towards us is 100% pure. Right. He has chosen to need us because he decided he wanted relationship with beings that had a choice. Mm -hmm. So he has relationship with angels, whatever beings are out there in the spirit realm. But that wasn't enough for him. He, he wanted something that felt more mutual. And so... He created us in this context and environment of free will, freedom. And when, when you understand that God yields authority the most healthy, it seems like a silly way to phrase it, but in, in the most healthy way, meaning that he, um, he's not, how would I say this? Not only does he not need anything from us, but he risks us not choosing him by giving us this context of free will and freedom. And even though he could break his own rules that he sets into motion regarding free will and all of that, he could, he if anybody could manipulate, if anybody could control, mm -hmm. it is him because he has all power and mm -hmm. all authority. And yet, the way he yields his authority in the healthy way is that he does not um, he he does not use it. Right. He is power restrained. Yeah. And when I think about going back to the example that you've been talking about, uh, authority figures within the church or parents, even with children, when you restrain the power that you have intentionally choosing when you could have moments to manipulate, when you could have moments to control and you choose not to, then you are correctly reflecting the one whose image we've been made in, yeah. the father. And so then going further down this, this thought process of reflect, you know, we can't give away what we don't have. We can't reflect a healthy authority that we don't properly see God in this idea of how he loves us. So many of us without even being aware of it, we're, we are convinced because of the enemy's work in our lives and in society, we're convinced that he 
um, he, he has an agenda when he loves us. Like he's just trying to get us to heaven. He's just trying to get us to behave. He's just trying to get us to worship him. You know, there's, there's a little list of things we could say that he's trying to get us to do. I don't believe any of that. Mm -hmm. I believe that he loves us because he created us, because mm -hmm. he wants us, because he wants intimacy with us. He wants us to eventually know him just as much as he already knows every single one of us. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, because of his love for us, because of his value for us, that he's already He's already determined we have value before we ever know we even need him or choose him. Because of that, he does care about our behavior. He does care about um, us being with him for eternity in heaven. But that is not the motive of his love. And so when you have correct motive in a relationship, meaning you're not being persuaded by a hidden agenda, you're not trying to get something out of that person, nor are you coming into that relationship needy, meaning I don't, I don't need you to be okay so that I can be okay. God's already okay. I don't need you to be, to respond a certain way to me because if you don't, then I'm scared that I'll experience pain in my life. And so I need to control you so that I don't experience pain. Like when we see God properly, we will handle relationships differently. Yes. <clears throat> because what we're looking at is we're looking at a God who wields authority in the healthiest possible way. And, um, when, so, so what does this look like in, in day-to-day -day interactions and family relationships and all that? I'll get into in a second, but I want to give you space to add on any of that. No, that's, um, that's very good. I think there's another dynamic in there about the Lord and his interaction with us and, so part of this conversation can help you if you are you tend to be the one who likes to manipulate or the one being manipulated. Um, and so let's speak of the authority card and say the trump card call, I'm in charge. And there is, you know, we have that at when we're parents with our kids, and we know that needs to be strong when they're two years old, say, don't run out in the street. And so there are, there's an age where that has to be, um, clear. It's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's there's something wise about just learning, even before we think and process. Like He said no, God said no, and so there's a level of obedience. But we see quickly as as He's maturing us into sons, God does He resists. You can see even in the life of of Jesus and His disciples, He resists just giving orders and like I'm God, I'm your Creator. Like he could have said that every single time to his disciples, mm -hmm. but he would, he would engage in conversation. You know, it was like, who do men say that I am? And then he would listen to them saying they want to be, uh, I want to, you know, the, the sons, uh, Andrew and, um, was it James? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden I forget sons of, uh, Boanerges are called. Anyway, they're ones that saying, they're like, Hey, we want to be the right and on the left. We want to be these positions of power. And mm -hmm. he, be, he would tell them, uh, let him be servant. You know, he would speak to them about being servant of all. So he's modeling a different type of leadership where you resist putting out the trump card of I'm in charge. And when you get uh, you know, there are, there are moments, I think when we were pastors 15 years, I think there's a couple times where I just, because I wanted, I, towards the end there, we had like 90 leaders and I did want input and, and there was, it was a value for us. Hey, let's, let's see if we can, um, if, if, if we can work through conversation to consensus, mm -hmm. move towards consensus, not because I'm the pastor, the leader or Elizabeth and I, or whatever, uh, let's work towards consensus. And then there's, there's some points like this, I, you know, 
I am going to pull that card right now, but I don't know if I did right or, or, or not when, when we did. But there is, we just see that the Lord really does hold back from doing that as we're growing with him. Mm-hmm. He wants inter- interaction and he wants, he wants to draw consensus um, from, from us as well. And so if you're in a position of power or leadership, leading a church or a ministry or whatever, and your tendency is like, Listen, we're going to do this because I'm here. This is the charge God has given me, and I'm this and this. So you listen, obey. The Bible says it. You're you're in the wrong. You're on the wrong path. You're in the wrong spirit. You're off of, of things He's saying. Anyway, move forward with other yeah, things and here. and specifically with a church setting, just because we've been pastors previously. There, there is a, there is a healthy, I believe balance between there's an aspect of ministry and running a church that needs to be handled like business. Like you do have employees and they do need to come to work at a certain time. And there's, you know, there's just decisions that are admin decisions that, that are, you have to have some hierarchy to that. And then you have the actual ministry side of it, where it's... Um, Which operates under volunteerism, really. Yeah. And and then just decisions that are made related to the, the culture of that church family. And that's what we're talking about. It's like there's a growth process in that where when things really start humming along, it, it is super dysfunctional to come into a church setting where the whole thing is run like a business. Yeah. Like you've got nothing but yes men around yeah. the leaders and, you know, people are afraid to speak up and it's just, it it's becomes very obvious at some point. That is that cultish atmosphere, it, whether it's mainline denomination church or whatever else, once it gets into that type of, uh, of, of culture from the corner, from the inside out, then that is really unhealthy. Yeah. It is. So, you know, I think that in relationships, it's, it's to the degree that you or the person that you have relationship with, um, is emotionally unhealthy and there's unhealed places in your heart to that degree, you're susceptible to manipulating and controlling and to being manipulated and controlled. And the reality is we all have the capacity within us and have all succumbed to both sides of that at different times because none of us have always been healthy emotionally our entire lives, right? So um, there's a waking up sometimes that happens in a relationship where you realize either you're doing it or they're doing it and you're, you're, you know, at the other end of receiving it, or you're both doing it. And um, it doesn't mean that relationship is doomed. And I'm not talking about like an extreme version where there's physical Physical abuse. That's a different situation um, or sexual abuse or both. Um, But I'm just talking about just that nuanced way of relating to people that can just get super dysfunctional. And Um, I can look back and see times, especially in our early marriage, where I was definitely, um, you know, on the side of being manipulative, being controlling, being controlling with my young children because I had believed a lie about the pain that I was in. Right. You know, like, I just can't handle any more pain. I wasn't aware of it, but that, that, that was driving. That was that needy place in me that's not in God that was like, I can't handle any more pain. And so I got to control everything around me because I don't want my kids to be in pain because if they're in pain, then that's painful for me. And so let's not let anybody be in pain emotionally, physically, you know, just let's just keep everything as neat and tidy and perfect as I possibly could. And it's exhausting living Mm -hmm. that way. Um, But as I got healing in my own heart and life, I started, um, not having that need in me, but I still was stuck in a rut and a pattern of relating. And, and what helped was for me was truth statements because it created a new pathway of thinking and a new pathway of 
of choosing how I would react and respond in situations that I didn't need to control anymore um, because there wasn't that pain there, but I was stuck in the cycle. Right. And so what does it take to break that cycle in yourself? Number one, ask Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit is the best teacher. And, you know, there's some great research out there. There's great material. There's therapists just simply realizing, wow, I have been being manipulative and controlling and I don't like it. I don't want to be this way. Pursue healing and then pursue how to get on, you know, get out of yeah. that, that pattern. When you see it in someone else, I believe that a, a way that you can help someone is look for the right opportunity, not when you're in the heat of an issue, right. but look for the right opportunity to circle back and say, could we have, and as much as possible, this is not because somebody else is being controlling, but because this is how we should all be treated. You ask the person and, and get their permission, first of all, to even have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So could we talk sometime about a pattern that I'm seeing in our relationship? Mm -hmm. And as Danny Silk teaches, like make sure that when you're making statements that your statements are expressing a desire to continue connect connection yeah. with the person. So um, because I desire a healthy relationship yeah. with you, I would like to have a conversation at a point where you feel good about it too, where we can look at maybe some patterns in our relationship that we're stuck in that are unhealthy. Yeah. So you're saying we, you're not accusing. Right. And then when you talk about how what's happening, even if you could list, you know, all the facts, you did this, you said that, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Even a person who's controlling and needs to be confronted um, they want to, they, most people, I don't think are doing it on purpose. Right. Some people are, there's some people that are so like, so unhealthy that they, they like being that way. They have to be that way. They don't want to change. Um, and you're, you know, that's a different situation, but saying, okay, I, um, I have experienced, this is how I've experienced what seems like to me a pattern in our relationship. So for example, when you have said blah, 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 this is how I experienced that. I felt manipulated and I felt controlled or whatever. Um, some of the, the things that I read, um, just doing some quick research, is that signs of manipulation are things like when someone uses your own insecurities against you um, or your fears against you or when they um, cause you to kind of doubt your own judgment by saying, well, I never said that. I didn't. And, and you know that they just said that, you know, um, or putting guilt on you or being passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, you know how people can be passive mm -hmm. aggressive. Um, or they move the goalposts, meaning like mm -hmm. they change expectations. Mm -hmm. So you just, you thought that you met an expectation, but it still wasn't good enough. Um, yeah. and then sometimes people can go so far as to like include others. So you feel kind of ganged up on where they tell someone else, you know, don't you agree? They're like this. And then, then you use that against the person. Well, so-and-so said that you were this way too. So we call that kitchen sinking, you know, mm -hmm. when you just try to throw everything at somebody all at once. So, so when, when you see this pattern, sometimes you could point it out to the other person, but if you see it in yourself as well, take ownership using the example, like, um, that you were talking about with the cult. Well, you and I ended up getting married at a church that ended up being just even, more dysfunctional if that's even possible and it's a long story you'll see it in our documentary but and we um, told some aspects of it yeah we told some aspects of it then but i remember specifically when we woke up to the fact that we had been being manipulated and been being controlled through this system of this church um I would, I, the Holy Spirit took me to this place where he, he began to address what is it in you 
that allowed you to be manipulated and controlled. And so I remember having to to own that and we processed that some together, but even in, you know, a one-on-one relationship, being able to own your part of it and say, I've realized that I've played into your fear that's caused you to be controlling or manipulating. And, and because of my own fear of losing you or of disappointing you or a uh, fear of whatever, you know, I, I want to own my part of it. And that's how you make progress in a relationship that's like that, a friendship, a marriage, a relationship with a parent. And, you know, sometimes the fear of finally, like, dealing with it is bigger than the issue itself. It's like you just dread, you know, that conversation. I can never have that conversation with my dad or with my mom or whatever. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Like, you've come too far in life to settle for unhealthy relationships. Now, the world's answer, okay, the world's answer for control and manipulation is to put up boundaries. And at some point, if you can't come to uh, a breakthrough in a relationship that has control and manipulation involved in it, then you you do have to put up boundaries, meaning you have to say either to the person or within yourself from one extreme of you are no longer in my life to, okay, I can be around this person, but, you know, I'm going to speak up when this happens and say, you cannot speak to me that way, or I will not, whatever, whatever the boundary needs to look like. But it's not just in the, in the world, because that's, there's a very popular book on boundaries that's gone around the church as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and, you know, again, sometimes when we correct where we've been, we overcorrect and tend to get either right in the other ditch. Um, cause some who've, Yes, I went to this book on boundaries and now nobody can get close to me and suggest anything, you know, you're... Not that the book says that because we've never read it. We're no, not saying that, but... I haven't. Whether it's that book or the idea of the teaching on boundaries yeah. is is out there. It's like protect who you are. And and so, again, there's, there's value there, but you just want to remember not to do the overcorrecting as you're doing it. Because what we've seen as well, even having heard so many, um, now we're talking, I was talking earlier about kind of church scenarios, but we can say, you know, husband and wife scenarios, you were speaking into that as well. What is abuse? Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are, there's very clear abuse. There's, um, there, there are things that are, you know, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, all that, you mentioned that as well. Those are clear. Then there's where it gets gray. And, and there's where people who are oversensitive, they've been hurt a lot, where they choose to, you can choose to consider any disagreement um, abuse. And, and so, and it becomes, you know, easy for the enemy to begin to say, I'm being abused in this relationship, I need to get out. And, um, and you know, maybe need some help processing even whether it's abuse or you've just heard, like it's not to disagree with each other and to even say things because both maybe are a little short fused for the moment to, uh, um, well, you said that, well, you did it. Well, I don't think that, that kind of back and forth, that's not abuse. If I get in her face and I'm this far away and talking loud, now that is abuse. If we're throwing out horrible, uh, because it's manipulation. It's using using fear to get a certain response out of the person, to get them to behave a certain way or give in or whatever. And then there's where, it, you know, it's starting to cross a line again. When you get into cuss words and you're throwing out the worst and you're calling somebody uh, horrible names, there's, there's where you're doing it because you're hurt and you're just cussing and it's kind of just doing this. I'm not saying this is what we do. I'm just saying we've heard of that. And, and so, um, and, and, and um, I'm tired of taking this, whatever. But then there's, you're in blankety blank, blank, and you're this far. You are starting to be an abuser and a person is experiencing abuse. It doesn't mean 
you have to separate and all that, but that is where boundaries have to come. It really is difficult to cover all the bases, but we're talking yeah. enough. Uh, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying, why the reason I brought up the whole concept of boundaries is there is a time for that, but why not fight for a relationship? Why not, why not, um, grow in this area enough within yourself where it's not just enough to say, I will not be manipulated. I will not be controlled. What if you're also look, willing to look at how you might, being, might be being manipulative and controlling as well? And it's just like in, in any relationship when there's, it takes two to tango. So when one person gets healthy and whole, the potential that it has to bring breakthrough for both people is huge. Yeah. It's huge. Now, some people are still stubborn at that point and, um, you know, but, but fight for it. I, to me, it's just, it's biblical. The Bible makes it so clear when there's a fence with someone, you go to them and you try to work it out. It's, there's a, there's a pursuit yeah. of someone's heart when, when a fence is there. And I think in that, you know, um, Danny um, has really helped us so much with Danny Silk with his book. Mm -hmm. Keep uh, your love on. Keep your love on. Like just two simple things. If you haven't heard it, I think it's KYLO. Was, was that the name of the book itself? Yeah. Keep your love on. If you just think through that, it's what I was telling you before about keep your golden earrings on. There's something about that visual and don't ever let a leader or anybody seduce you or, or whatever, uh, you know, impress upon you in any way to, to give up the responsibility for personal hearing from God. That remains forever and ever and ever, and you never want to lose that, even if you're listening to leaders. Um, but there's something, keep your love on, because that's, because there, that's that, that language right there. When you're having conversation, there's an awareness at some point, my love is not on right now. Mm -hmm. And you just like, okay, keep your love on. And then the second part he would do is like all conversation when you're going through dispute is either towards connecting or towards disconnecting. Mm -hmm. And if you think through that, you like, you say something you're like, was that, was that going to help a connection in any way? Was that going to help there? Or is it like, I'm, I, I, I'm piling on and, and I'm, I'm moving towards further disconnection. Mm -hmm. So those are two simple things um, to remember, but we are aware again, that there is, um, you know, we were on, um, Elijah Streams a couple of days, a few days ago, and and Julie Smith, who's on on staff there, we were to be, I think it was after the program. She was like, I I just got a word from the Lord, twenty twenty three, He is going to go after. I think she's going to write this up or whatever. Abuse, abuse that is done in His name, abuse that is done all kinds of not just the the straightforward, easy to pick up sexual abuse and crossing the line there but where there's this manipulation and, and systems and, and churches and denominations and movements that operate on that, that he's going to come mm -hmm. uh, and, and expose and, and not just expose for the sake of exposing, but so we'll change time to grow up in this. And that's, and there's, um, you know, there's always our part, our responsibility. I think it's part of what you're, you're saying as well. Even the thing of boundaries, you can tell we, 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 we could identify some people that, um, they felt like, and they probably were pushovers. They were the ones that their voice got silenced. This can happen. You grow up in a family. You're the one that's third, fourth, fifth child, and you never get your voice in. So you find your voice, and then you're going to make sure that you never lose that position again. So you got the boundaries all up, and but it's still not really maturity because you you want to have uh you want to have your guard enough down where real relationship and warmth can take place, where it's not just all rules of how to protect myself from being um, harmed. So, so I don't know where we go from here, but this is. Yeah, I just, I think it's, you know, like with other topics we've discussed, it's definitely not exhaustive. Yeah. And it's meant to just bring attention to a reality that's there for you to continue the discussion with the Holy Spirit. And see what the Lord begins to stir in you about that subject. Is there something in your own heart and relationships around you that he wants to put his finger on? And I think for me, the biggest takeaway with this whole subject is we become like the one that we behold. There you go. And, and when we see God rightly, we're going to become like him. And, and he, 
He is the ultimate authority, but he does not manipulate us. He does not control us. He's intentional. He's involved. And there are times where he will literally, like you see, he, he intervenes in situations. But when he's not intervening the way that we want him to, it's not because he's, he's, um, you know, wrongly using his authority or his power. It's because he sees the value of free will and what it, what it, the potential that it has for healthy relationship between us and him. And and that's his goal. I got two words to go in and want to interrupt you on that. But with what you're just saying, there's drawing and imposing, like to draw someone, you can see, um, that that's who he is. He's the one who's always drawing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like drawing like that, but that's, you know. Like wooing, drawing wooing, us drawing, As opposed to imposing, imposing his will. He's, he's, and that's just those two words. It's so much um, kind of connecting just what you're just saying. It, there is growing and maturing into looking to draw people into a more mature mm-hmm. relationship response. And, and if we, if we think through that, again, that is really good about we become what we behold mm-hmm. and who we behold. And if we study him and how he is, how he was, how is revealed um, in the scriptures as well. So I think that's really good. So a question that we frequently ask related to Reformation is what does love look like coming out of you? What does love look like? Um, in the areas that you carry authority, that you carry influence. And, you know, how how can you shore up your ability to love others free from manipulating and controlling? Um, we have to be intentional with these kinds of subjects or or we are, um, you know, just, just like the issues that we see in others, we just are blind to them in ourselves. So, um, Let's pray for him. Let's do it. Lord, we um, we just thank you for the ways that you love us without agenda, but so intentional. Your, your motives are so pure and so right towards us and for us individually and as humanity. And yeah. uh, we're just blown away by the reality that you don't control or manipulate us and you woo us you draw us Mm. and we want to be like you there is no better way there is no better way of relating in relationships and in carrying authority and influence than how you do it Mm. so would you teach us would you give us fresh perspective on on the ways that we were meant to carry weight and authority in our relationships and in our positions Yes. Would you cause something in us to to not tolerate it in our systems, nor in ourselves? Mm-hmm. Would you grow us up and mature us as your bride, that we would um, begin to understand how to have breakthrough in this area of our lives? Yes. Um, God, those that are facing this in their their local churches, would you just give them a grace to um, to know what to do, mm-hmm. whether to lovingly um, address it or lovingly walk away and move on? Would you raise up leaders in your likeness who know how to pastor? Um, like a true shepherd Mm. that reflects your heart as as one who carries authority in such a tender, servant-hearted way. And God, those of us that are parents and that are in um, friendships and, and marriages where we carry influence over other people's hearts and lives, would you, we just give you permission, Holy Spirit, to show us when we are being manipulative, mm. when we are being controlling because of a variety of reasons and fears and and patterns and things that we didn't even talk about, just seeing it modeled for us. Some, some of us, we just didn't know there was another way. And so we give you permission to start pointing it out 
to us and yeah. showing us how um, how you want to address it in our own hearts and lives. And God, those that are in dysfunctional relationships where it's really mm-hmm. severe and they just feel the full-on effects of being mm-hmm. controlled and manipulated by someone, um, I ask that you would give them boldness mm-hmm. and and allow them to have favor with the person that needs breakthrough. Mm. Give them wisdom with their words and 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 how to um how to confront in a way that will produce results in that relationship. Yes. Thank you, Lord, and we just bless you. We love you. We honor you. We are yours and you are ours. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think you covered it super well. Okay, well, we will see you next time on Up for Discussion. As always, feel free to make comments. Feel free to suggest topics that you would like for us to initiate a discussion about. And uh, see you next time. <laughs>